Hello. 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 This is Aura. This is Erica. And this is Lisa. And this is our last podcast, episode six. Yay. I'll miss you, ladies. <laughs> we have so much information for you today. So I think Eric is going to start. Oh, I'm going to start talking about the lungs. Um, a healthy kidney take out extra flow from your blood. And when your kidney are not working as well, they actually, they don't, they don't take out enough fluid. Well, when I say fluid, this means water in the lung. This can cause extra fluid in your blood to build up in your body. Plus, having too much fluid in your body can cause problems with your lungs and even your heart. So ladies, fluid around the lung is a potential dangerous condition and people may even die from it. Oh, yes. Let me continue on that then. I can tell you lung expansion needs adequate surfactant spread throughout your thin layer of fluid covering your alveolar walls and greatly lowers the compliance of your lungs. So what we're talking about is your kidneys and the different ways that they work with your respiratory system and how if you have certain diseases with Franconia syndrome, which there are many that relate to it, you could have problems breathing in your lungs, which is affected by your kidneys. So we're gonna talk more about that. So let's get started with the fact if you have cystinosis. I know that you wanted to say something, Aura, with cystinosis. Yeah, I do. I actually um, was online and I found that cystinosis is the most common cause of Fanconi syndrome in children. Okay, well, great, because cystinosis can also cause problems breathing in adulthood as well, but because your lung capacity is restricted and you have prolonged high levels of cysteine, cysteine is actually an amino acid, and it's a building block of protein, which is essential to life. Um, So cysteine, uh, what happens without cystinosis, your cysteine levels, your cysteine actually leaves the lysosome and is used again by the body. And if you have cystinosis, there's no transport system available to carry the cysteine out of the lysosomes. So cysteine accumulates within the cell and it forms into crystals within your cells and that affects your kidneys, also your muscles, eyes, brain, and your pancreas. But your body uses cysteine to produce taurine also and that's another amino acid. So when we talk about our lungs in the respiratory system, your lungs are located near thoracic cavity which is enclosed in the pleural membrane. In your pleural membrane, it connects to the metastinium. Did I say that right? Yeah, that sounds better than what I would pronounce it. I can't say it. Your metastinium contains your trachea, your esophagus, your heart, and your blood vessels entering and exiting the heart. There's many different reasons why it could be hard to breathe. But one reason would be your lung inflammation that results in your alveoli, your fluid accumulation, and poor lung inflation like you were talking about, Erica. So the fluid accumulation. Fluid accumulation also decreases the effectiveness of the gas exchange across the respiratory membrane. So each lung is surrounded by your serous membrane, pleura, and your nerves enter your lungs along the same path as the bronchi. And it also has fibers following the bronchial tree in your blood vessels. 
The nerves contain a mixture of autonomic and sensory fibers that can control the diameter of the bronchioles. And it also initiates the reflexes and the mucus secretion to make sure, you know, reflexes like when you cough and stuff like that. So your autonomic fibers that innervate the lungs come up from the pulmonary plexus that are situated at each hilum. The pulmonary plexus is formed from the branches of the vagus nerve and your sympathetic trunk. Now your parasympathetic fibers enters the plexus from the vagus nerve, which it increases. If you have increase in your parasympathetic activity, it causes your bronchioconstriction and your mucus, which would make it hard to breathe along with your fluid, fluid accum accumulation. So ladies, how about if we move on? Okay, yes. let's move on. <laughs> so um, the heart and the kidney, they actually work closely together and where there is a problem with one and actually things go wrong with the other one. The heart pumps blood fire with oxygen through all parts of your body and the kidney cleans blood from moving waste products and extra water. So without the help of your kidney, the heart will be working too, too hard or will not function at all. Right, and that's why when you have Fanconi syndrome, it's all connected because it all goes through your blood and your cells. That's everything's filtered through your kidneys and the end and the tubules and everything gets refiltered back to your blood. So that's why we want to talk about our a little bit about our veins and our cardiovascular system. Okay, so because it's all connected, we do have different ways the blood travels through your body and things are filtered. So we have our systemic and our pulmonary circulation. It's the circuit which everything travels. Your arteries and your arterioles carry blood away from the heart and your veins and your venules carry blood toward the heart. So in your systemic circulation, your arteries carry oxygenated blood and your veins carry deoxygenated blood. But in the pulmonary circulation, it's completely opposite. Your arteries are carrying deoxygenated blood and your veins are carrying oxygenated blood. And to make it even more complicated, we have three tunicas. <laughs> we have the tunica externa, which is loose packed connective tissue with irregular fibers, mostly collagen, that support in your lymphatic and your nerve fibers are there. Your tunica media is your circulatory arranged smooth muscle fibers. Um, it's intertwined with like bands of elastic connective tissue. It's your middle layer. And you have the tunica intimia, the deepest layer. They're lining your lumen, closely packed, simple squamous, smooth surface. So you also have your arteries. Your elastic arteries are closest to the heart and they have larger lumens. Your muscular arteries are the thickest tunica media, and your arterioles are so small with the wall of the epithelium, I'm sorry, the endothelium and thin layer of smooth muscle, smooth muscle fibers. So your arterioles actually feed your capillaries. And we're gonna talk a lot about the capillaries. Um, they do your material exchange between your blood and your interstitial fluids of the body. The materials are your respiratory gases, your nutrients, your metabolic waste, and your hormones. Um, 
So your erythrocytes, your red blood cells, are forced to flow a single file, and sometimes the shape needs to be distorted to squeeze through the capillary lumen. Only tunica intima is present in your capillaries because your tunica media and the tunica externa are absent. They're not part of it. Um, you have tight junctions that join your squamous epithelial cells of your capillary endothelium, and it leaves gaps between the plasma membrane of your adjacent endothelial cells. You have intercellular clefts that make your capillaries more permeable by allowing the movement of fluid and small solutes between the blood and the interstitial fluid. Your capillaries supply blood to almost all the tissues, um, provide direct access to every cell of the body. So there's three types of capillaries, your continuous capillaries, your fenestrated capillaries, and your sinusoid capillaries. We're going to talk about the fenestrated because even though the continuous are the most common and widely distributed, the fenestrated capillaries affect your kidney glomeruli. glomeruli. <laughs> Sorry. And that filters your waste products, your substances like your sodium, phosphate, potassium that pass through the tiny tubules, which what does that mean, ladies? The tiny tubules, if they're not working right, what do we have? Fine Fanconi syndrome. syndrome. And that means that the fluids and the nutrients are not flowing correct through that you need that are not being filtered back through your fenestrated capillaries. I just want to quickly tell you that the fenestrated, why they are called fenestrated is they're a little more permeable than your continuous capillaries because they have... Um, the endothelial cells are dotted with pores or fenestrations that allow better passage of fluids of la in larger molecules. And that's why the fenestrated capillaries passes those products like the sodium, phosphate, potassium, and all of that. As the sinusoid capillaries are even larger, but that's not what we're talking about right now. So one more thing, your venules are the smallest vessels carrying blood back towards the heart after it passed through the capillary networks. They have thin walls, they allow the passage of fluids, and it permits the movement of leukocytes by diapedesis, if I said that correctly. Larger venules have all three tunics, tunica media, tunica externa, are thin though. Your venules converge and form veins. So they come together and they form your veins. Your capillary flow is, uh, it's low. It's slower than your arteries or veins. Uh, the capillary hydrostatic pressure, which is CHP for short, it's exerted by the blood onto the capillary wall and the force promotes filtration. That is filtration of your interstitial fluid in your hydrostatic pressure, which oppose filtration. Okay, so that brings us to the endocrine system, which can affect changes to your total blood volume. You have a reduced stretch of kidney arterioles, which stimulates a release of renin from your granular cells. Your renin converts the liver to produce peptide and also angiotensinogen into angiotensin 1, which is then converted to angiotensin 2 by angiotensin converting enzyme, which is you know, for sure ACE. It's found in the lung and other tissues. Angiotensin II increases your blood pressure, stimulates your thirst, and increases the release 
of ADH, your antidiuretic hormone, hormones that cause greater conversion of water in your kidneys. So most endocrine cells are commonly derived from your secretory epithelium and found inside an organ or a distinct endocrine gland. <clears throat> so your endocrine is, they're embedded in the wall of your atria of your heart or within the kidney. And they have compact, multicellular, ductless secretory glands that secrete chemical messages into your interstitial fluid. Endocrine can be a neuron. It moves solely through diffusion and plasma. The process is regulated by an endocrine. One of them is your blood levels of several critical ions and blood levels of a wide range of nutrients. When your homeostasis is off, that's your steady state of your body, your cells respond and it detects regulated by the negative feedback loops. Almost any cell can be an endocrine cell. Almost any chemical messenger can be a hormone, but not all chemical compounds act as hormones. So the four main types of hormones are amino acids, peptides, proteins, and steroids. And remember, amino acids are the building blocks of your proteins. Protein hormones are they are chains greater than 40 amino acids. Um, peptide and protein hormones are encoded by genes, and almost all hormones released is controlled in a negative feedback manner. Receptors are proteins found in the cell membrane, the cytoplasm or the nucleus. <coughs> Receptor change shape when bound by proteins. They interact with other proteins inside the cell. So your endocrine in your renal system well, what happens is your hormone ADH tells your kidneys how much water to conserve and constantly regulates and balances the amount of water in your blood. The ADH is made in your hypothalamus, but it is stored in your pituitary gland. I said it right. <laughs> okay, and it also helps the kidneys manage the amount of water, increases the amount of water reabsorbed in your distal convoluted tubule and collecting duct. See how it all comes together with Fanconi? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it also has to, it regulates your plasma osmo, osmolality, and that's the concentration of dissolved particles of, and chemicals and minerals like sodium and other electrolytes. It binds to the receptors and cells and collecting ducts of your kidney. Like I said, it promotes the reabsorption of water back into the circulation. And now we know if you have Fanconi syndrome, that your the nutrients are not getting filtered true through because of the tubules are not working properly and causes decreased plasma osmolality and decreased urine volume i guess you could say it increases the expression of aquaporin aquaporin are channels and nephrons of your kidneys and this one's for you aura <laughs> it increases the reabsorption of sodium in the loop of Henle, again, increasing your interstitial osmolality gradient. But the loop of Henle. Oh, you got it right, Lisa. Right. <laughs> Oof, wow, Lisa, that was a lot of information. I know. Oof. But ties it all together now. Yeah. Um, but you guys are probably wondering what is the possible treatment or management for Fanconi syndrome. How'd you know? And I found a little something. I found that the only accurate way to treat Fanconi syndrome is indirectly by the treatment of the cause of the syndrome. 
Treatment depends on the cause of the Fanconi syndrome, as there can be dozens of causes. There is no easy or uniform answer to this question, which we all know with all our research. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Replacement of uh, biocarbonate and potassium are important measures. However, they do not result in the long-term re- resolution of this condition. If a medication causes the condition or if heavy metal poisoning is suspected, it is strongly recommended to avoid or eliminate the harmful substance. But you're probably wondering, what is the post-operative or rehab care in all of this? I am wondering. Yeah. What is it? And I didn't really find much, but... You found something. Yeah. Patients that do need monitoring after the diagnosis... The key features to be monitored include urine output, electrolyte levels, and medication levels. Ah, uh-huh, makes sense. Yeah. It's all about the urine. Does anybody know where you can go to find out if you have Fanconi for syndrome like, or yeah, not? Yeah, for like a consultation or something. Um, I think it is best to consult with a nephrologist for future workup or treatments for Fanconi syndrome. Oh, uh-huh. makes sense. Nephrologist. nephrologist. What is it again? Nephrologist. Nephrologist has something to do with the kidneys, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's it, guys. I think we're done. (laughs) We're done. We had a great time researching Fanconi syndrome. And learning about all the different systems and anatomy and physiology. Well, have a happy summer. Happy summer, girls. Hope to see you again. Likewise, take care. Bye-bye.